On behalf of Lifetime Learning, in partnership with the Alumni Association, I would like to thank Professor A.D. Carson for volunteering his time to speak today. A.D. Carson is a performance artist and educator from Decatur, Illinois. He received his PhD in Rhetorics, Communication, and Information Design at Clemson University, doing work that focuses on race, literature, history, and rhetorical performances. As a 2016 recipient of the Martin Luther King Jr. Award for Excellence and Service at Clemson, Carson worked with students, staff, faculty, and community members to raise awareness of historic entrenched racism at the university through his See the Stripes campaign, which takes its name from his 2014 poem, his dissertation, Owning My Masters, The Rhetorics of Rhymes and Revolutions. It is a digital archive that features a 34-track rap album and was recognized by the graduate student government as a 2017 Outstanding Dissertation. Carson is an award-winning artist with essays, music, and poetry published at the variety of diverse venues such as The Guardian, Quiddity International Literal Journal, and Public Radio Program, and The Journal for Culture and Religious Theory, among others. Carson is currently assistant professor in hip-hop in the Global South at the University of Virginia. Please join me in welcoming A.D. Carson. All right, peace to y'all. Say peace to y'all. All right, all right. Um, <clears throat> this microphone is doing its own thing, uh, which is all right. I appreciate the opportunity to be here uh, to share some stuff. I think that I also apologize for that picture of me. Um, is the title of this thing, but it the the picture is actually important too. No, it's not the microphone; it's the stand. It's cool. Um, I can also just do this. So, <laughs> um, so this was actually this is this was my um, apartment during my um, <clears throat> when I was at Clemson uh, doing the the doctoral program there in rhetorics, communication, and information design. Uh, and I'm going to talk just a little bit about that to get to this thing that we call. Um, Owning my master's, which was the um, the dissertation, and we'll talk more about the hip hop than the global south. But if you have questions about that, then feel free to ask whenever we open up for that. But <clears throat> I want to start by saying, um, see, it's just talk, no gimmicks. If I ain't about to win it, then it's a lost cause. I'm standing at the finish. Watching y'all racing, playing tomato paste, and calling it ketchup. I am what's left of a dying breed, trying to breathe while in hell and stay sober while rappers that be on X sell. And they swear that they be fly, but I'm piloting rocket ships and I don't see them. They be high, but they lie into you and yours. My crew and me, troubadours, we truthfully through and through be oratorically bored by those playing that their game. Same thing I said before. I said it before, they're settling for the metaphors that they could sell in the stores. The people that wanted to get it the way that they live it, the lyrics is telling the lives that they live in ain't really that different from what we are spitting our people I write for. I recite for the ones that's barely making it, living check to check, but never neglecting that his baby needs diapers, his lady needs nicer than current circumstances. I may be just nice enough to inspire the further planning. That's just talk. Pardon my message. They're like children with Barbies. They want to dress it. So it's a letter that won't ever be mailed. Philosophy, like why try when you inevitably fail? <laughs> so when I say that I'm good, that means that I ain't fucking with you. Plus, I say what you should, but you don't. And I don't blame you for just trying to sell. But look out, you'll be an addict if you buy it as well. So I don't blame you for just trying to sell. But look out, you'll be an addict if you buy it as well. Um, the, oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> So one of the first publications that came through um, after I had proposed and had this, um, this dissertation project called Owning My Masters, The Rhetorics of Rhymes and Revolutions, um, when, when, it was for, when it was accepted, one of the first publications uh, was with the Journal for Cultural and Religious Theory uh, and an issue that they had on uh, civic humanities. And I think that it probably can explain more succinctly what I'm attempting to do. Um, in language that I guess I feel comfortable with, and so that's what this is here. What would you call an educated Negro with a BA or an MA or a BS or a PhD? 
PhD. I'll tell you, you call him a nigga, that's what a nigga is. They say history is written by the victors. So when you see my picture in the book, it'll be consistent with my memory, my victory. The, um, the dissertation is really just, uh, I mean, I guess like in a, in a real practical way, just saying so. It's a rap album. It's a rap album that is the text of the dissertation. So rather than it being like about rap or it being about like spoken word, it's actually done through those uh, particular modes of presentation. The people that wanted to get it the way that they live in, and one of the reasons that I really wanted to do it that way is because. You know, it's just like the, the metaphor that I use is like dope. Kwali said, you know, I, I speak at schools a lot because they, they say I'm intelligent. No, it's because I'm dope. If I was whack, I'd be irrelevant. If I'm striving to be dope or if what we do is dope, like and by we, I mean rappers, what happens is it gets cut a whole lot of times. Hip-hop and sociology or hip-hop and literature or hip-hop and whatever else it is that we cut it with, uh, this world of academia, you know, however we want to describe it, is, is that world not ready for that dope in its, like, uncut form? Can the scholars not just create or speak through hip-hop as opposed to having it, like, mixed with something else in order for it to be acceptable. We already know that people can experience and talk about rap without having someone else filtering it. So, but I ain't on that slave shit. I ain't with that boss as you sick. The most you'll get from me is a hock of this spit. And that's it. And that's it. I'm saying, ain't no crime in standing my ground. I ain't gonna wait for people standing around. Hope they recording it. Nope. If I'm in danger and it's from the police, I'm supposed to call another police? I'm just kind of removing that filter and just like doing the rap, doing the dope, being the dope, hoping that whatever happens, even if the, you know, if the academic body, so to speak, like rejects it. I mean, I guess that's what dope does as well. It's, it's you know, overdose. I just feel like we've been doing hip hop or rapping or spoken word or graffiti b-boy and all of these different elements of hip hop that have existed over here for so long as like ways that we can look at other things. I want hip hop to be the way that we look at things. I want the dope to be what I am and what I'm doing. It's very basically like I'm trying to be dope and do dope shit. That's pretty much it. Well, I mean, this, here's the thing. Like, I'm not even, like, I won't even knock what other people are doing or what has been done before now. All of those things are, like, also dope. Like, those things are, I think, participating in what we call hip-hop culture. It's not to say that, like, fans or scholars or academics or people who don't create raps or who don't, you know, like, do these, you know, like, the, the elemental things of, of hip-hop. It's not to say that those people can't participate or that their contributions aren't valid or it should even be discarded. I'm just saying that I want to add something to the conversation from being a participant in the hip-hop world as well as a participant in the academic world in this particular mode. Foot, so seven-foot Kuta with a seven-foot chain gang swag takes steps that he never took. I'm planking on a million. I'm planking because I'm feeling so damn high. I should be planking on the ceiling. I don't understand it, but I think it because I'm willing. And you so fucking stupid that you take it because I give it. Listen, you can be a nigga just like me. Walk, talk, act, dress like me. Roll over, bed, so bench like me. I want to actually rap my scholar and I don't think that there should really be that much of a problem with me doing the scholarship that we call hip-hop through rap. It, it shouldn't be a problem. So that's the, that's the introduction to the dissertation. And so if, um, if you haven't uh, and I'm assuming that most of you haven't listened to the album, and that's totally fine. Um, but you can find it at that uh, at that website if you put um, PhD dot in front of the adthegreat.com, then what you'll find is the, the digital archive that has the album, and then it also has some fragments of some text that you might <clears throat> that you might be able to. Um, used to connect all of the ways that I'm trying to talk about that. And I'm going to talk a, a little about a little piece of that. But first, I want to say that the Digital Archive um, contains uh, multiple mixtape projects, which started with uh, Term One. Uh, and this picture right here is taken out in front of uh, the Fort Hill um, home at Clemson University, which is John Calhoun's uh, plantation house, which stands at the middle of the... Um, well, at the plantation, but the campus. Um, 
and it's open seven days a week. And uh, I did not know about this whenever I decided to go there for that um, for their doctoral program. Um, <clears throat> this one was in the in one of the other graduate student offices uh, because my office was not that nice, and I shared it with with uh, eight other people. And so there's no time to take a picture. This is uh, in uh, Sasfe, uh, Switzerland, uh, when I was at the, um, the European Graduate School um, the summer after my first year. This was the first uh, See the Stripes. Um, it was a, a, a See the Stripes uh, festival that we had after the poem came out. And then, um, strangely, this one is just like at a random award ceremony in Mexico. And it was just like a, a candid picture. That was in my living room. And then this was uh, out in front of the administration building at um, uh, during what was the, the psych sit-in. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But though these mixtape projects were the the work that I was doing along with the work that was going on in class. And so I was make, recording this audio. And so the very first mixtape album I turned in as a term paper for the history of rhetorics course. And the professor sends me a message back. And he's like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do with this. <clears throat> and uh, I freaked out. I lost my, I was sitting around eating because we just finished our semester and uh, lost my appetite, went home and then typed him out this four, like, four-page email explaining the, like, the intellectual merits of rap music. <laughs> and uh, he's like, no, I just needed text. I needed to know, like, what the words were. Um, <laughs> and uh, then I stopped freaking out, and I got an A. So <clears throat> anyway, the, um, um, this is all related to a making practice that we should understand that we probably understand being associated with hip-hop, but we probably don't think that much about, primarily because the way that many of us come in contact with hip-hop music is on the radio or in some way where um, it has been listened to by lots of people, and therefore we are one of the people who's going to listen to it now because those people want to share it with other people. But it always has to start somewhere. And so there's no such thing as me like making a global hip-hop song in my home. I mean, I could do that. I could attempt to do that, and I could mimic what I hear songs on the radio doing, but I believe that the most effective practice has everything to do with something very local. Um, with that, I didn't show up to Clemson University with a plan to make an album called Owning My Masters. I went there with a set of practices that I engaged in already, and it so happened that the Wednesday that I moved, and if you see this, it's uh, 2013, the, the Wednesday that I arrived in Clemson, um, was the same week that uh, George Zimmerman was acquitted uh, during the trial uh, for the killing of Trayvon Martin. There were also other things that happened that week, and if you go to the, the Owning My Master's website, then you'll see that um, also uh, Fruitvale Station, the film that was released that week, and then a little bit later that semester, 12 Years a Slave, uh, 12 Years a Slave was released, and I just moved from Illinois to South Carolina and was trying to process all of this information. That Saturday that, uh, that George Zimmerman was acquitted, um, to try to process that, I went home and recorded a song, which was the very first song that was recorded uh, on what would ultimately become the album. That song did not end up on the, the finished product uh, that was the Owning My Master's album. And it was primarily because, um, well, a number of reasons. I just didn't, it didn't fit consistently with the, with the album's playlist, but it's still there. So it's still on the SoundCloud page. But if you see also here toward this end, uh, so in 2017, I graduated from Clemson uh, on a Thursday. And um, if any of you live in Charlottesville or were in Charlottesville, then you know about the rally that was around the Robert E. Lee uh, statue on uh, the 13th, the Saturday. Um, that was the Saturday after I'd graduated. And then that Monday uh, was when I arrived here. And so if you think about um, the way that you might respond to things like that. There were 34 tracks over the course of the time that I was at uh, Clemson. Uh, but then when I got here, it didn't stop. So it's like graduating and then moving on with the same project and then just like sort of continuing the cycle. And I think that that is um, something that I found that was like kind of embodied by this photo. I wish that um, 
I could actually hand you all this photo so you could actually see what's going on here. This is John Calhoun's office. Um, now, in my imagination, there is no factual evidence to say that this is the desk uh, at which he wrote his defense of slavery, calling it a positive good uh, rather than a necessary evil. But if you look at the edges of the photo, you'll see that there's like, uh, well, it looks like uh, like vegetation trees or something. That's actually because you can't go into this office. It's blocked by a glass door. And so what I did is I took one of my camera's um, lenses and put it up against it. It's a wide um, frame lens and put it up against the door. And the, it took a picture of both the reflection and the inside of the room. And, um, and I thought that that was like a very emblematic picture of the way that I felt living at Clemson. And I think that it also stuck with me coming here to uh, Charlottesville, feeling, um, well, somewhere between the outside and the inside and trying to reflect both simultaneously, particularly um, because I'm making music that has to speak to a specific set of circumstances, or I feel obligated to speak to a certain set of circumstances in a particular mode that uh, many people would be totally fine if I did not engage in. But I feel like my work would not have uh, the resonance that it could have if I didn't engage those topics, because I think that it's fine enough for most people that rap is rap, and then rap as the medium becomes the thing that people are enamored with and not you know, what's inside the vehicle. And I think it's really important to use um, this kind of vehicle for um, a very specific purpose. And so what I'll say is that this is not something that I just started when I went down there to that doctoral program. I did write this uh, text that I believe is a failed attempt at the thing that um, I ultimately um, have continued to try to do in different ways. Uh, and so this book... Um, called code was something that I said that I was like trying to write in hip hop <clears throat> and um and it just takes these three mediums poetry prose and lyrics and attempts to weave a story out of them and I was trying to model that um or, or what I believed or a thing that I thought Gene Toomer was doing in Kane this book is from 1923 um but again he's dealing with um lyrics in a certain way but also uh, prose and poetry and uh, in other shorter forms. And so when I teach this for my um, composing mixtapes course, I'm thinking specifically about how Kane is uh, kind of like a proto mixtape as uh, a piece of literature. And uh, the way that this is all articulated for me is through um, Ralph Ellison's uh, Invisible Man, particularly the um, prologue and epilogue of the text in which the, the invisible man has retreated to um, an underground cellar, uh, a, a basement um, uh, refuge that he's, uh, he's stealing power from the monopolated uh, power company. And he's got 1,369 lights lining the room. And, um, and he's imagining... Uh, a different kind of engagement with music. So there's this, um, he calls himself a tinker thinker. And, um, and he's going to use this power that he's taken from uh, this institution in order to um, imagine a different kind of future, one in which um, his invisibility can be used toward um, a certain goal. Again, I'll speak a little more about that in just a second. This here picture was taken at Clemson um, on the 14th of April in 2016. This is the second day of um, what I guess is now known as the psych sit-in. And uh, five students, uh, Rainisha White, DJ Smith, Kayla Williams, Ian Anderson, and myself were arrested for occupying this uh, building, the, the main administrative building at the university, in an attempt to bring back to the administration grievances and demands that were issued the previous year. And this was almost a year, almost exactly a year before I had defended my dissertation. And uh, it was the context for the music that was being uh, composed for, the, um, for owning my master's. <clears throat> and I was attempting to take, um, I guess, um, if we were to quote uh, MLK, to take the noise that was there and then shape it into something else. 
um, I mean, to think about speaking out at a uh, university, you know, whose most famous building is named for the racist, uh, admitted murderer, politician, uh, and founding trustee, Benjamin Tillman. Um, and then the place being a former plantation on which students were currently and, um, and still are treated unequally, and then make that into something else, sound, music, a message, maybe even a degree uh, that would help us collectively work toward a more just reality. Um, and hip hop would be the best way to do that, but there had to be some actual tangible goals that I was, uh, that I was reaching for. And so um, that day, when we were detained in that building, um, the crowd swelled, and I think that maybe about 400 more people came and sat out there and slept out there on those steps for the next um, seven days, uh, attempting to get the university to act uh, on these things that we were thinking about. I'm not going to show the video, but you are welcome to, uh, if you go to that website, then you'll see the... Um you see the see the stripes video um but it's also one of the tracks the site um, of the most it's one of the tracks from the um from the dissertation project and so um i was just telling me there's music here um this poem here uh is actually an attempt to remix what uh ellison does in that text um and it says, you don't see him. He often doubts if he really exists. His is not the radio phonograph. His is capable of five live sounds, of feeling their vibration, of being the embodiment of those sounds. But he's not five Louis Armstrongs playing and singing, what did I do to be so black and blue? Yet he's made poetry out of his being invisible. And it's probably because he's unaware that he is invisible. I understand his invisibility, though, I think. He has that slightly different sense of time, and I can at least tell when he's not quite on the beat, sometimes ahead and sometimes behind. But never mind me. This isn't about me. He listens in that newly discovered analytical way of listening to music. I hear each melodic line existing of itself, standing out clearly from all the rest, saying its piece, waiting patiently for the other voices to speak. He listens in time and space, entering and descending into its depths like the invisible men before us, like Dante. Knowing now that few really listen to this, the invisible music of his isolation, he asks, not what did he do to be so blue, but what do we do with the black? Bear with us. Now, in that text, it says that um, the invisible man discovers a new analytical way of listening to music while under the spell of reefer. If we're um, listening to people like um, Hortense Spillers, who asks us to be self-critical, um, as a result of being uh, what she describes as discomfited or unoriented, and she suggests that that's the work of the, uh, or that, I'm sorry, the work of the intellectual should make her reader or hearer. Um, and Avatar Rennell might call this um, a, a conjuring, and she says that, quote, intoxication names the method of mental labor that is responsible for making phantoms appear. Uh, it was a, ma a manner of treating the phantom, either by making it emerge or vanish, end quote. Um, and what I would simply say is that this is the work of dope. So Ellison's narrator states, you're constantly being bumped against by those of poor vision, or again, you often doubt if you really exist. He continues, you wonder whether you aren't simply a phantom in other people's minds, say, a figure in a nightmare which the sleeper tries with all his strength to destroy, it's when you feel like this that out of resentment you begin to bump people back. He later states, I remember that I am invisible and walk softly so as not to awaken the sleeping ones. Sometimes it is best not to awaken them. There are few things in the world as dangerous as sleepwalkers. I learned in time, though, that it is impossible to carry on a fight against them without their realizing it. And I'm also thinking about James Baldwin alongside this um, narrator uh, who quotes the hymn for the title of his 1964 book. He says, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, the fire next time. This is an attempt to fill in all of these, uh, these gaps between the frame um, of this poetry and this music and then to create a pedagogy that is going to be useful to my students. To close that frame, 
um, the end poem. Uh, so there you have it. His invisibility placed us here. In fact, it showed us and helped us accept where we are studying this lesson through his life. He tried to do it in everyone's way but his own. That was his problem, that in being called one thing, then another, while no one really wished to hear what he called himself. Rebellion was inevitable, invisible, a return. The end was in the beginning, beneath the surface, underground, under thought, but understood. Under common circumstances, we would say this was about history, about her. But this is more under commons than even common sense might say, black and fugitive study and planning and act two. This is about us about being without substance, a disembodied voice with no choice but to tell you what you've been looking through, him on the lower frequencies speaking for you. Now, <clears throat> as I said before, I took that, um, I attempted to try to take that practice and continue to make music, which was probably the easier part. And so you have... Um, this uh, sleepwalking project, which came um, in 2017, uh, the, the, the September that I started, and um, it's 12 more tracks talking about the exact same thing, except for the context has changed. I'm in a different place, literally in a different place. Um, but uh, also, my circumstances have changed. I'm no longer a graduate student. I'm an assistant professor. I'm at the University of Virginia, and I am uh, in this position that they call assistant professor of hip-hop in the global south. And then I go through a year of teaching, and then I release uh, Sleepwalking 2. Now, again, all of these are attempting to engage in everything that I just told you before. This is the playlist, uh, Sticks and Stones, Antidote, uh, Kill Whitey, Concern, and Escape. Um, I tried differently in this piece to speak very specifically to a set of issues that I believed existed. And those were issues about language that all of those people that I mentioned previously talked about. Um, but to really engage the question, what can or should a person in the position that I'm occupying now um, say or do in language? And uh, what is the most productive way to do that? And so I attempted to um, take the form of like five paragraph essay or, you know, like five chapter monograph and uh, make a very succinct project because I know for a fact that even though the dissertation is 34 tracks and, you know, like it's already done and no one can take that away, that most people are not going to put the time into really trying to dissect uh, and digest 34 tracks worth of music. Um, similarly, people may not even want to do that with 12 tracks, but with this, it's 17 minutes and I can do that in a classroom session. I can do that in a smaller group like this or in a large group. And so we attempted to also have listening sessions so that we can actually talk about the, the work in language. And then also, um, I wanted it to reflect the kind of work that was going on in class. And so that's what this is, um, the practice of teaching hip-hop, um, well, especially here at UVA. So that's this video. aware of the fact that we are like telling stories or we are telling a story uh, you know every rap is an argument every rap song is arguing something am I saying that music that is saying things like vocal music can't exist for the purpose of just existing yeah like skirt by Kodak Black for example it's mm -hmm. like stream of consciousness stuff so he's really not saying anything are you saying like the fact that he's not saying anything is an argument I think that that could be argued, probably. Like, I think that I could argue that effectively. But could you take a step further and say that, like, is there anything someone could make that has no purpose of argument to it? That's just made for the sake of being made? Like, good music, for example? Like, Mozart makes a symphony. Is it like... I kind of feel like the, um... I don't know, I kind of see it as reverse. Like, 
the argument doesn't really come from the thing, but from the person looking at it. So as soon as somebody looks at anything, you're as a entity with a perspective, then then it will make an argument. But it's more like you're making an argument for the thing in question. This is the aftermath of countless additions, the prehistoric traditions. I'm cursed with these visions and Nostradamus predictions. I see guns, bombs, mortars, and morticians, raging fires of desire, greed, motivations, addictions, fools. list for singers because like yeah, I mean like in theory yes like your voice is an instrument but we're we're, we're not looking okay. for theory here we're looking for was the first uh, composing mixtapes class, and um, I told them that I was really impressed with the work they did um, because I didn't know what to expect, especially using an album like Owning My Masters as the model for the students to create their own work. Um, you'd probably imagine that the students would try to take like my perspectives in order to impress me and then like mold them into their own, uh, and the idea was to really create a set of practices that they'd be able to use to express their own opinions in the things that are local and central to them, rather than trying to somehow appropriate these issues that I saw at Clemson. How could we actually, or how could they actually speak about what they saw as being members of the Charlottesville community, but also members of the UVA uh, community here at the university? And the, the class last year took a much different approach than the class this year took. Um, and so the group Extension 398, um, which was the, the first group, they, they put together a set of tracks that I thought were remarkable in the range, but also they just worked uh, really well together. But I also imagine if you see the room that they're in, this is the rap lab over in um, New Cabell uh, 398, and that's well, where they took the name from. Um, and I imagine that place as a version of that, um, as a model of the of the space that uh, Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man is in, um, trying to imagine uh, what music might sound like and try to, trying to, um, I guess, like engage in um, probably what what uh, I would say Trisha Rose would call like black techno -synch uh, syncretism. You know, like this idea of um, creating. Uh, using technology to like sort of like peek into the future or invent the future, especially or particularly in language. And the second group, this most recent group, um, their approach was different and their music was more, um, um, I mean, it was, it was different. It's a different set of, of uh, students and they call it themselves um, uh, rec, which also, I hope that this doesn't sound like shade to them because it's not. It's just, just like hilarious to me that when I tell them to come up with the name for their group, <laughs> uh, their initial name, uh, well, I, I came back and they're like, we, we decided on a name. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And they're like, um, Rem, R-E-M. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, so um, did y'all Google it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, maybe Google it. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because I think that name might have been used before. <laughs> no, but that's not the worst part. They're like, 
but was this REM group even good? Does anybody even know them? And that's, yeah. So, so. Also, this is the same group that when I told them about citation practices, and then I said, just do it like liner notes. Uh, they were like, what are liner notes? <laughs> so this is amazing. It's, it's an education for me to have to articulate to people who are adults what liner notes are <laughs> and, and what they contain. So they came up... Um, um, with uh, with Wreck and the name of the album is Cope and it's really about them dealing with everything that comes at them as um, as university students. This year we've also made a lot of progress. We um, have collaborated um, with local artists as well. Um, I mean artists across different spheres. This is the the most recent group and um, this is also to showcase the uh, the mural that we have in the Rap Lab. We had some local graffiti artists come in um, and we did a, a public painting event where some of the students performed and they painted over at the arts grounds. And, uh, and then we installed the pieces. And I think that, uh, well, we worked with the Charlottesville Mural Project. And so they, they just released a video recently of the process of, um, of putting that all in. And the hope then is that we continue to do this kind of work and then use this, um, I mean, engaging in this sort of like this theoretical um, uh, set of the, the, the set of ideas and then also engage in a practice that is going to keep us um, grounded in not just the local circumstance, uh, like what happens here at UVA, but what that means to a larger, um, a larger community like Charlottesville. And then like even more thinking about <clears throat> the city of, uh, I'm sorry, the, the state the Commonwealth of Virginia um, and um, the rest of the world. And with that, then the work has uh, the most impact that it possibly can have. Uh, and so when I was asked to come here, it was to kind of speak about my work uh, and to think about uh, or to, to talk about, I guess, I know nobody wants to hear like research, <laughs> but uh, to really think about how this uh, hip hop practice um, looks for myself, but also what it looks like for, you know, like a, um, a group of students who are not really necessarily thinking about the, the same questions that I'm thinking about, um, but may benefit from the medium. So to give them access to the vehicle and then allow them to uh, put the content that they want into that vehicle uh, and go wherever they like to go. Um, I'm going to end with this piece. <clears throat> Hopefully it works. One of my, one of my principles oh, is that uh, contradiction is one, two, one, two, one, two. universe. Can you hear me? Everything, uh, Can you hear me? Phenomena. No. Whether it's the physical world or one, two, the one, biological two, one, two. world or the uh, social world, has its internal contradiction. It gives motion to things, that internal strain. And uh, much of the time that uh, right. we homo sapiens um, don't realize that no matter what sort of uh, conditions we establish, no matter what government we establish at this point, All right. there also will be that uh, internal contradiction that we have to resolve. Huh. And yes, yes. Resolve yes. In a rational, just way. And uh, of course, that uh, leads us uh, pretty good uh, on the time. That, um, uh, it's very vague on how to deal with it. And uh, many times we claim uh, actions are revolutionary, uh, but really they're not. That's they're true. not. Huh. They want rap, not a tap dance minstrel show, so they can't help but want to follow where my pencil go. I'm like the ghost of Wu-Tang, Bobby Digital's analog catalog trapped inside your stereo. Not mercurial, but open to change. Came during the drought when you was hoping for rain, praying to HOV. I was opening lanes on the right side, solo, joking and playing. It's like Beat Street meets Oscar the Grouch. Traditions that used to exist got argued about and took over. Consumerism hollowed them out. Now everybody's scratching heads like, what's the problem about? And yo, if you can't see the boogeyman, but you spooked, and you could tell a lot about a tree from the roots, then it don't really matter what you do to the fruit, because you ain't eating what you thinking is like venom to you. <laughs> I represent people that been in the booth, spitting truth, so our peers call us venerable. Ladies get disrespected, and dinner's a few, so they all baritone like a tenor or two. But be careful who you mention it to. I got sisters, a mother, and living is proof that
that they're Queens, no borough, and itching to prove that I'll put you down under like a didgeridoo. Uh, murder metaphor, red cake, matador, people kill people every day. Why battle for a title? Because if you look like me, you're my rival, but mix that with some ignorance and you could be my, my idol. My I'm about to remix America the Beautiful to the takeover beat. I'm sure it'll be suitable. Write three rhymes, solidify me, undisputable. Start a revolution, have them play it at my funeral, then print my face on a t-shirts. Black, solid with prophecies spoken by Socrates with politics that's paradoxical. On a beach somewhere tropical, sipping daiquiris with Tupac, Scott LaRocchino, Obama, Solemn, Alaka, it's the statement peace to the people pray you never be complacent and never strive for parallel if you were born adjacent simple statement i'm saying always, always strive, strive for greatness yes yes are you not perhaps afraid of what might happen to you as a result of making these revelations oh yes i probably am a dead man already no i don't worry i tell you i'm a man who believes that I died 20 years ago, and I live like a man who is dead already. I have no fear whatsoever of anybody or anything. Appreciate y'all time. Uh, hopefully there'll be some questions. Okay, we're gonna pass around the mic. Anybody Absolutely. have some questions? Thoroughly enjoyed your lecture, and I wish I was a student here for many reasons. One of them is I could take this class instead of some accounting classes I took. Word. <laughs> but uh, the question I have is the last couple years, I know there's been a so-called emo rap where Extension and Juice World have come through. Very, de very depressed lyrics, very powerful, very different from some of the gangster rap or other type rap. Do you think that's going to continue? Do you think there'll be more rappers who talk about different type subjects matters? Or how do you think that's going to go in the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I wish that that was like mostly, con I, I wish that that was more content driven than it is. You know, like I think that so long as people buy it, then there's going to be more of it. Um, and I think the same thing happens with, um, I think the same thing happens with so-called gangster rap. And um, I think that you can trace that tradition all the way back to <clears throat> Um, like blackface minstrelsy, and the ways that um, that we get a we get an idea of blackness in the popular imagination that comes from a thing that becomes a commodity, and then even and then all of the performers who are going to sell their um, who are going to entertain who are going to make that work are having to do what exists in the imaginations of people in order to um, give them what they want, rather than doing the kind of thing that they might like actually want to do and then thinking about what people might actually want to do becomes a, a really fraught thing because people might see it and say I like that and now I'm going to do it and maybe even do it unironically and then we have all of these questions about things that we might call like cultural appropriation which is probably not the correct term for it um, but it has everything to do with rap as a commodity and more than you know like uh uh, the, the, the real content of the music that um, that people might be doing. And um, I also just wish that there was a simpler way to answer that question. <laughs> because um, I think that there's like another, um, another approach that says that what we call emo rap now has been going on for a really long time. And uh, the ways that we describe the people who make rap music have everything to do with the ways that we allow those people to be human beings. And we've allowed certain groups of people to be emotional now or to consider them emotional now. And um, it's very clear that somebody like Tupac might have been called an emo rapper or at least have been called someone who we called him passionate, right? Um, or people might describe him as, as uh, passionate or they talk about his delivery. But really what we're talking about is a kind of emotion in his work. He's the same person that says, you know, I smoke a blunt to get the pain out. And if I wasn't high, I'd probably blow my fucking brains out. And so if someone is going to call, um, you know, Extentacion, like the next coming of Tupac, then wouldn't Tupac be like the proto-emo rapper? Uh, but then, you know, like we could probably go all the way back to like the message, which is actually, I think, an emotional appeal as well. And um, that's at the very beginning. So I think that the labels, again, have more to do with the ways that rap gets sold 
then um, it has to do with what is actually happening with rap music. So um, I hope that people just keep doing dope shit, you know, that they that they want to do. And um, the ways that we describe it is like accurate and not anachronistic. Hi. Hello. Um, this is probably not fair, so I apologize. Um, so as a woman, I, in just with hip-hop, I know that I look for myself a lot in hip-hop and have been very pleased recently with what I think is, my opinion, the rise of female rap. And, um, or women rapping, they yes. call it female rap. Everyone has different terms for gender, sorry. Um, so, like, I, I know one thing that I've found very frustrating um, because I try to, when I listen to hip-hop, even though I love the greats, as I've gotten older, leaning more on listening to female rap because I'm, I'm a woman and, and I like some of the things they say. Um, but it seems like there's been a long history of there only being one. Yeah. And I think that's kind of changing. I kind of see it changing, even with some of the fluff, like even with some that people would argue aren't real hip-hop artists like Cardi B. I still enjoy Cardi B and City Girls, but I also love Meg Thee Stallion, you know, who I think is a really... I good hip hop artist, like one of, of a real one. And it's, it's really amazing to see, like, what do you think about, do you see that changing? Do you see this shift happening or is it going to be, do you think we still have a ways to go for there to be more diversity just like there is with man rapper rapping? There's so many, um, in the female rap world. Yeah. I think that, so I have a, I think probably like a, um, kind of a fraught relationship with the ways that people tell histories about hip-hop as well. Um, and, and it's primarily because of, uh, uh, or one of the reasons is because of what you, you've brought up here, is that uh, it's not that women haven't been significant contributors. You know, like Sylvia Robinson herself, who uh, owned the record label, Sugar Hill uh, Records, um, that brought us the first, the so-called first commercial rap record, um, Rapper's Delight, uh, was a rapper herself. And so we don't even talk about how, like, women rappers have, or we, we don't seem to make as much room for talking about how women uh, who rapped have been um, present throughout the history. Uh, I actually made for my students, because of this very question, um, a playlist on iTunes called um, I Cram to Understand You. And it's really just a, um, I Cram to Understand You is a um, song by MC Light for y'all that don't know. Anybody know that? Okay, so seven people knew, and the rest of y'all didn't. So you can find that playlist on, on iTunes if you want to listen to this history of women who've been rapping from the very beginning and have, had significant, uh, have been significant contributors. But the way that it's always been written about is, uh, you know, we say, like, who's your favorite rapper now? Who's your favorite woman who raps? As opposed to talking about um, the, you know, like really exploring all of the people who have been contributing over the time. I think that has a lot to do with the, also the way that we that we talk about women in media. And it's not just in rap, but it becomes a thing that happens in rap because like rap has been the place where, you know, like uh, all of the pathologies of all of the darker skinned people in this country have like sort of rested uh, comfortably because for some reason uh, we, and I don't mean we, but like we were cool with that. Um, and totally fine with the way that that was like narrated. And now we're having to revise that or push back against that um, uh, against that narration so that we can recover what was lost. And so then we don't say that Lauren Hill was the only rapper rapping in the 90s or the only woman rapping in the 90s because it's just not true. Or that, you know, like like now we have Cardi B and a few others, but there's so many other people. I so happen to believe that Rhapsody may be the, the best rapper rapping at this point. Um, but that's not the story that gets written about Rhapsody. It actually is a story like that really sort of positions her as a woman, a woman other that are different than other women in rap. And so I don't, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't see that changing because the people who are writing the story are writing. Uh, they're, they're, it's like they're writing a genre of story that like has to resonate with the kinds of stories that always existed. And so I think that we have to have some kind of radical change in the way that we write the stories about rappers in order to um, re-articulate the, um, the way that things have, uh, have come to be. And, um, you know, those counter-narratives, like, really depend on the narrative that they are countering. 
And so it just seems to be a trap that we're stuck in. Um, but I believe that we have more space to push back against it because uh, you don't have to have someone validate your story in order to put it out there and for people to engage with it. And so I always try to take the platform that I have to say that if we listen back through rap, we'll hear an entirely different story than the one that we read about whenever we read popular histories of hip-hop. And, um, and that's one of the reasons that I made the playlist. But this is also one of the reasons that I encourage the, the young women who are in my classes to continue to, to work as if the history is what it is as opposed to the way that it was written. Um, and hopefully that helps them um, hear themselves, uh, but then also like uh, attempt to like see themselves and write themselves into you know like this hopefully better narrative that we strive for. Questions? <laughs> Do you think SoundCloud's making rap worse or better? All right, that's a. Um, that's a great question. Um, I, yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Um, I believe that SoundCloud, uh, you know, it, it, it exists. It provides uh, immense opportunities, and I think that um, there's going to be a lot of bad rap music, no matter where it is. Um, just like all other music, you know, like there, there's going to be bad, like all art, there is going to be just a bunch of bad art being made. And I encourage everybody to make bad art. I mean, this is how we find out that it's bad is by making it. Um, and, um, and I don't think that everything we make needs to be posted online. But if somebody's going to give you a digital space and all of the like an, an unlimited opportunity to like post your bad songs. Hey, you never know what might hit. And, like, some pretty bad songs have, like, hit. And, like, we're all listening to them now. I know y'all know that uh, Old Town Road. Um, <laughs> and I'm sorry. I mean, no, 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 I'm sorry. Com I was about to say a really terrible thing. Uh, but, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a great song. Sure. Um, no, but I, I think that it's catchy. Like, I think that all of that is good. There is a certain kind of thing that, that I really like as a fan of rap, but the fact that something like that can exist in the world and that people can really, like, rally around it and then make it into what it, what it has become, I try to reserve all of my value judgments about, like, who can and should rap because I would encourage everybody to make the stuff that they want. And I think that SoundCloud creates a community for doing that. And so whatever my personal values are about particular songs, I think that uh, SoundCloud provides a space, like it really is a, de a democratizing space, um, or more so than what we had before, and that was like when you had to have an A&R person say that you were okay before, you know, you were even passed on to a place where people might even be able to hear what you do. Um, and, um, and so it's not just SoundCloud, but I think that there are many other platforms that people have. Um, but I don't think that, I mean, I'm not one of those people that thinks that it's ruining music. I think that it's better. So that when people say all of the rap sucks today, it's very clear that they're not being truthful because there's no way. It's impossible. This is my job and I can't listen to all of the rap music. So for someone to say that all of the rap music is bad, it just kind of proves to me that they're maybe like lazy or they're looking in the wrong places. Because whatever you want, it exists out there for sure. Yes. Uh, so first off, for those of us no longer fortunate enough to be students at UVA, thanks for sharing this. It was really great to see. Thank you. Uh, and then a couple kind of related questions. As we go on from here, any um, way that you have as a recommendation to us for keep up with what you're doing aside from your website? And then second, if you wouldn't mind sharing... Uh, kind of a short list of other writers, thinkers, rappers, people whose content or work that they're doing you would respect and might recommend. Well, okay. So we're in the process of putting together a Rap Lab website because we're also, like me and a group of, uh, of uh, faculty and students, we're going, we'll, we'll be going over to, uh, we're going to Makanda, South Africa to work with, uh, they have this place called the uh, Around Hip Hop Live Cafe, and they're doing similar kinds of work there. So we're kind of thinking about local hip hop archiving practices, and we want to sort of be in community with them. They had an artist come over here and be with us for a week earlier this year. Um, and we want to document that in a, sp in a space that is uh, separate from or that is connected to the music um, 
the, the music department website, but also is, is a place where the student work can uh, kind of be so that people can engage with it, so that uh, you can listen to the, the Rec album and the, the Extension 398 albums on uh, Bandcamp and SoundCloud. The reason that they were ever on my website was because uh, we didn't have an, an online space and the, and the music department website was really slow at the time. And um, and I thought the easiest fix was to just put it somewhere where people could uh, could get it. So that Rap Lab website is coming. Uh, I mean, it's it's up now. It's just not completely like the tweaks have not been worked out. Um, and then people who's uh, oh, and then also these students every year um, they do a public presentation of their work. So their final exam is finishing the album and then presenting that album. In the past two years, they've they've done the listening party at uh, at uh, Boylan Heights. And um, that's always a really, a really interesting thing. And also, you just get to see, and they take questions from the audience about, about their projects and about how they made their projects. And I think that it's really great to see them take ownership of the work that they've done. So it's not me standing there and, like, forcing them to say, you know, things. They really are uh, going, you know, articulating what it is they've learned about themselves and they've learned about the work and they've learned about uh, the world uh, in that space, along with you getting to hear the work that they uh, uh, you know, what they worked on for 16 weeks. And so we'll do it. Um, they so happen to fall on the same week the past two years. So this this upcoming year, we're just going to um, plan on having it at the same time. And we'll try to send out advance notice of that. Um, artists and uh, thinkers whose work I respect, um, they probably... So there are a lot of hip hop artists that I like. There's a there's a guy by the name of Brandon Alexander Williams who's uh, working. He's a um, he's on a fellowship at the University of Iowa. I think that he's an incredible lyricist, um, and um, is an, an MC and spoken word poet. And he's got a couple books out, but his his music is just really good and does a lot of the stuff that um, that I am really impressed by in um, in rap. Uh, there's a group called uh, One Shadow. Uh, whose music you probably, uh, well, I guess they, they, they have a new album called, um, oh, geez, I can't remember the name of the album. There's a new album that they have on um, on iTunes, though, uh, that I think is incredible. Truth, the, uh, the producer of that group is uh, a guy who I know and who's um, just like an incredibly talented dude. Um, I think that what has been really influential for me is reading a lot of Fred Moten, uh, and I think uh, Amani Perry as well. Amani Perry wrote Prophets uh, of the Hood, which was this hip-hop text, but she just like also wrote three books last year, one on um, Lorraine Hansberry, and then she wrote um, a book uh, called Vexy Thing um, about um, black, feminist, uh, black feminisms, uh, and um, then what was the third book? Uh, a book on, it's a, like a history of um, Lift Every Voice and Sing, the the Black National Anthem. Uh, and I think that she's an incredible thinker who I've all, I'm always learning from. And I think one of one of the things that we find in hip hop is that, you know, like the our source material is often outside of hip hop. And then like we start like we, we use these things to make the particular thing that we hear and we call hip hop. Um, but, you know, like all of our break beats are like soul songs or, you know, like jazz songs and, and all of this. And um, I think intellectually it's the same kind of thing. I, I don't have... Um, very strict disciplinary interests and um and what happens in like you know what they call hip-hop studies is that people are like kind of talking to hip-hop studies people and i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that but like hip-hop ed is like talking to people who are teaching and want to use hip-hop and so um, i find the people that i'm reading are people who are outside of this and i'm like trying to process them and then make what they do um uh, applicable to what's happening in um, in my classroom. Kiese Lehman is also a, a person whose work I think is incredible. He's got a, a memoir called uh, Heavy that uh, just came out, but I teach his book Long Division as well. And um, he's got a book of essays called How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others um, in America that was um, very um, impactful for me. One last question. AD, thanks a lot for the lecture. I really enjoyed it. And um, I don't have a question about the rap genre, but I have a question about you. Word. Um, but first, I just want to say, yeah, thanks a lot for sharing your story. It's really cool to see, and I love what you're doing at UVA. Um, but you said something earlier in the lecture that I really liked. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but you Word. said, <clears throat> I didn't go to Clemson to make owning my master's, but I went there 
um, and I just continued practices that I had already been doing. And it sounds like you've continued those practices here. So I just wanted to know, what are those practices? Yeah, so I, that's a great question. I thank you for it. Um, I think that um, there's, I think that there's a, a care that we have to have, like, in, I think probably, like, in, in our being. Uh, and so, like, I wanted to say, like, in language, but it's not just in language. I think it's just, like, like if you, if you think about what... Um, or the way that I think about what Ellison is saying or what the invisible man in that text is saying, uh, when he's talking about sleepwalking, talking about sleepwalkers, and he's, he's actually talking about a time, uh, a, 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 an occasion when he almost killed a person who ran into him. And uh, he's talking about realizing that that person couldn't see him. And that was the reason that the person ran into him. And uh, and then thinking about a way that he might carry on that fight against sleepwalkers because he says, you know, very few things in the world are as dangerous as sleepwalkers. Um, and I think that it's because of the way that, like, folks might, like, sort of, like, well, run over you because they can't see you. And then, uh, well, the way that we would articulate the violence that happens when a person runs you over um, is, um, like, maybe, like, we would call a person uncivil, you know, like, when when... If like racism happens and then I yell and then somebody's like, I'd love to hear what you're saying, but like, could you please calm down? Uh, because, you know, that kind of thing. Well, at some point when I, when I talk about moving from there to here or when I talk about moving from Illinois to um, Clemson, um, I don't, I'm not so sure that, you know, like when we are the people who are like sort of um, deeming other folks like sleep or woke, uh, that, that we have... The, the power to do that. So I also have to be mindful that I'm not the sleepwalker who's running over folks. So when I'm in my classroom, I may be actually doing something that's, I mean, because I'm, I'm given the power um, by this institution um, appointing me assistant professor of hip hop to do incredible violence. Now, they never said, come here and do violence, right? But that's never the way people with power are told that they have power. And it's never the way that people are, like, people aren't told to be careful uh, in that way either. And if you don't realize it, then you can just come into class. I can go into class and just teach you the book on hip-hop and then say, no women were around, or that there is no, you know, queer or trans history of, of hip-hop, or that, you know, like, everything is okay and it's just like this universal thing so it's to me i think it's a matter of like taking care into the world um and um and then trying to speak to that and through that um whenever i do feel compelled to speak and i think that that gets harder every day because there are more things that i'm that that i am realizing as i am attempting to make music and so um, I think that I probably produce more and release less now than I did then because there's so much more stuff that I'm processing, but um, so much less of it I feel comfortable sharing uh, widely. Um, I mean, if you think like this sleepwalking too, I think I sat on that project for two months before I let anybody hear it because one of my friends is like, well, if you release that, you're probably going to get fired. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, if I get fired, then that's cool, you know, like, because I think that it really needs to be said. But imagine that, that it really does mean that much that, like, I mean, what does it mean to be a, um, a professor of hip-hop in a world where there are no professors of hip-hop? And where, um, like, rappers have to say the shit that other people won't say in a world where when you say shit that people won't say, <laughs> you get ousted. So that means that, um, you know, like I have to be willing to be gone tomorrow. I mean, I'm planning for a future that like, I mean, we're all planning for a future that doesn't exist. I'm just like walking on ground, like in like looking in the next step, there's literally no ground there. And I have to walk with faith that something is going to come there and hold my foot up whenever I put it down. Um, so that's what the practice is today. But, you know, uh, when I went to Clemson, there was no guarantee that they were going to accept rap music as my product. Um, when I went to defend the dissertation, there was no guarantee that they were going to say, um, you pass. 
When I went on the job market, there was no guarantee that there was going to be a professorship of hip hop. When I came here to do the, I mean, to, to interview, there was no guarantee that they were looking for someone like me. And so it's just moving through the world also, like, without those guarantees. So being, like, taking care, being careful, like, full of care, um, but also, like, abandoning the idea that, like, any of this is uh, something that I am owed. Um, and then taking the responsibility of making dope shit with dope people, you know, like, taking that really seriously. Uh, and then doing it. All right. A round of applause for Eddie Carson. I appreciate y'all. And in case you want to hear this again, um, there's a podcast, uh, Lifetime Learning. You can find it on the UVA website. If anybody missed it, you want to share it with them. We did make this to a podcast. And we also have a gift for you, sir. Oh, word. So thank you again for coming. If you can give him one more round of applause.